Hello everyone, I'm Tony Denbach, one of the pastors here at Clearview Community Church, and I'm so glad you've taken the time to join us today. We're in the middle of a series right now looking at our purpose as a church, what God has placed us here to do. In order to properly identify that purpose, I think we first have to clearly understand the one who called us in the first place. Why did he come? 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ came to this earth and placed himself immovably in the center of the affairs of men. Today, he still occupies that position, in spite of the determined efforts of atheists, agnostics, and skeptics alike. He has withstood attacks from pagans, Marxist-Leninists, and even our much-revered democracies. Mankind has tried to ignore him and dismiss him ever since he first declared himself, but he will not be ignored and he will not be dismissed. I believe, however, that one of the greatest enemies of the cross of Christ comes not from outside of the Christian faith, but from within. Many so-called Christians have tried to paint Jesus as a good teacher, a moralist, a prophet, a preacher, a great humanitarian, or a reformer. He may have been all of those things, but when the Son of God took on flesh and blood, He came as our Savior, and He came as the Lord. As a man, Jesus came as a Jew, and even his fellow Jews did not understand his purpose, his mission. We read of it in Luke chapter 4, 16 through 21. But first, let's explain the setting. In the Jewish synagogues of Jesus' day, it was customary for the attendant to deliver the scriptures to one of the Jewish men in attendance and have them read the scripture while standing. And that person would then sit down to explain the verses which they had read. Now, the reader sometimes had the option to read what the attendant had given him or to turn to another scripture. Also in the Jewish synagogues, there was always one seat left symbolically vacant at the front. It was waiting to be filled by the Messiah when he arrived. So let's read now from Luke, beginning in verse 16 of chapter 4. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. And he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him, and he began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. We read here where the attendant handed Jesus the book of Isaiah, and the Lord took the liberty of turning to the 61st chapter to read a prophecy about the Messiah. After reading the scripture, he promptly sat down and very clearly explained himself by saying, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, Jesus was openly declaring that he was the Messiah spoken of by Isaiah. Some scholars even suggest that after reading the scripture, Jesus walked over and sat in the chair reserved for the Messiah. Wouldn't that have raised a few eyebrows? Either way, Jesus made his meaning clear. He was that long-awaited Savior. Let's look now in a little more detail at just what it was that Jesus came to do. It was declared in Isaiah 61, and Jesus repeated it here. 
In Luke 4, 18, Jesus, first of all, says that he was here to alleviate suffering under the power of the Holy Spirit of God. He said, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. Jesus was sent from God to preach the good news, the gospel, to the poor. In its original context, the Jews connected this good news with the Old Testament message of Jubilee. God's plan was that every 50th year was declared a year of Jubilee. And in that year, all Jews who had been forced into slavery because of non-payment of debt were released. Jesus mentions this later in verse 19 when he talks about the year of the Lord's favor. Today, Jesus is saying to this generation that now is the year when your spiritual poverty can be erased and you can be free. It is to those who are unable to help themselves that Jesus comes. Those who had been sold into slavery had no means of release unless someone paid the debt for them. They were in bondage for a debt they now had no means of retiring. Now in the South, before the Civil War, they used to build platforms in the town square in the port cities. When the slave ships came in, they would put the slaves up on display on the auction block and the plantation owners would bid for them. All of us are or were slaves to sin. We had no way out. We were debtors. But as we mount the auction block, as numerous bidders compete to own us, Jesus Christ himself purchases us with his life's blood and pronounces us free. There's still good news for the poor. Jesus Christ has purchased our way out of the spiritual debtor's prison we found ourselves in. He said he also came to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. And this word proclaim means to make a declaration. Now, usually when you think of someone setting someone free, you think of somebody just freeing them, somebody breaking chains, opening the doors, or etc. But here the word proclaim gives the picture of a town crier yelling at the top of his lungs, hear ye, hear ye, you are free. You see, Jesus was talking about a spiritual, not a physical captivity. And yes, Jesus was the liberator. But the people still had and still have a choice whether or not to accept their freedom. So it is with preaching today. See, you can preach the goodness and mercy of God all you want, but each individual must choose it for themselves. Freedom from what? Well, from a lot of things, actually. Freedom from addiction, freedom from sin, freedom from our past. In John 8, verse 32, Jesus said, You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. We need to know the truth about ourselves. This spirit that Jesus said was upon him, he later referred to as the spirit of truth. And the spirit of truth searches our hearts. He knows what we really have need of. He knows about the secret sin in our lives. He knows about the secret pain, the crushing insecurity, the suffocating loneliness. He knows each of us through and through. And notice what he proclaims, freedom. Like that great speaker, Martin Luther King Jr. said, free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty, I'm free at last. Jesus is proclaiming your freedom today, if you'll accept it. Now, he also came to proclaim recovery of sight for the blind. To a world in spiritual darkness, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. If our prayer is that our eyes be open to the truth, his answer will be, receive your sight. Why choose to walk in darkness when there could be light? Now, I've thought a lot about why people would prefer to remain in the dark when they could be in the light. 
If you've been confined in the dark for an extended period, your eyes begin to adjust to it. The darkness also hides things. If you can't see very well, you don't notice whether or not you're living in a mess. But for those who have been blind, who've undergone corrective surgery, they need to wear patches over their eyes for a period of time, and often those patches are only removed layer by layer. Light can be painful, but it's much better to walk in light than darkness. Let the light of God shine on your life, on your beliefs, on your actions, on your relationships. Let God open our eyes and your eyes to what is really happening. Let Him open your eyes to see the spiritual dimension that impacts on everything you do. Let Him open your eyes to see the truth. And not only that, but He also came to release the oppressed. Now, this group of people needed more than just a declaration of freedom. They needed someone to do battle for them. These are the ones who are crushed or weighed down. Jesus didn't come to slap a pile of rules and regulations on some unsuspecting people. He came to offer freedom and hope to a world of people trapped in a dark dungeon. In Luke 4, he was making the declaration, today is the day for freedom. This was Jesus' mission, and he went on to sacrifice his life for that freedom which he offered. He was God's greatest gift to man. In John 3.16, he said, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Here's the truth. Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people live. Let's look now at John the 10th chapter and verse 10 to see a picture of things before Christ. Jesus said, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Who is this thief? Though it's not popular to mention his name in our enlightened age, Jesus is here speaking of Lucifer, Satan himself. From the beginning of time, he was a thief. He robbed man of his dominion of the earth through his deception. Man was created with health, strength, eternal life, peace, good relationships, and all of it was stolen from him. Sin entered the scene, and death followed. Generation after generation groaned under the strain of injustice, broken hearts, and hopeless lives. This was the world that Jesus came into, a society without hope, without peace, frantically grasping at anything to lift them out of their despair. But Jesus didn't end it there. The sentence doesn't end there. That semicolon after the word destroy means but. I am come, Jesus says. The enemy may have you in prison, but I have come to set you free. The enemy may have stolen your hope, but I am come to give you hope of eternal life. The enemy may make you sick, but I am come, and by my stripes you are healed. The enemy may have you stumbling around in the dark, but I've come and I am the light of the world. Open your eyes. The enemy may have you confused, but I have come and I am the way and the truth and the life. Follow me to freedom. Jesus said, I am come that you may have life and that you may have it to the full. He came to give life and not just that, but life to the full. Now, what does that mean? It means above and beyond normal. It means a wonderful quality of life. It means a peace that passes understanding. It means a joy unspeakable and full of glory. It's a shame that even a lot of Christians haven't figured this out. See, some think that the only way to please God is to wander around with their bottom lip dragging on the ground. 
but life to the full is portrayed by Paul, who writing from prison was able to say, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. Life to the full is a quality of living that is not dependent on situations and circumstances, but rather on faith in the living God and in the gift of his son, Jesus Christ. This is what Jesus came for. This was his mission. But what about us? Where does that leave us today? We who call ourselves Christ followers, we who have adopted his name as our identification, we who have decided to associate ourselves with this man called Jesus. What does it mean to be called a Christ follower today? Does it mean any more than being a member of the Moose Lodge? <laughs> does it mean any more than being a respectable member of the community? Jesus calls us to much more than that. We are not just called to be good people. In 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 20, Paul tells us that we are ambassadors for Christ, operating in his place, reconciling a lost world back to God. As Christ followers, we are responsible to carry his name to a world that's hurting. In his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, Jesus told us how we ought to live as his ambassadors. He said, if somebody hits you, turn the other cheek. If somebody asks for your coat, give them your cloak also. If somebody asks you to walk a mile with them, walk too. If somebody needs something you have plenty of, share it with them. He said, feed the hungry, care for the orphans, visit the prisoners, pray for your enemies. He said, don't worry about amassing a pile of things in this world. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all of these things will be given to you as well. So why should we do all of this? That they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Finally, in Mark 16, 15 and 16, he says to go and preach. Go and tell the good news. This is our mission. If you have life, share it. If you don't have life, it's been provided. It's our privilege to share in the mission of Christ. So let me ask you a question today. Who do you know that really cares for you? I don't mean that they like you. I mean that they really care for you. Who is there in your life that would sacrifice to help you succeed? Who is there who will actually tell you the truth about yourself and challenge you to change what's wrong, even when it's painful? Not like the friends of someone that I heard about. A new Christian was asked why he didn't attend a party uh, with the other guys from work. And he told them that it was Sunday and he started going to church on Sunday. And these friends began to mock him and ask him what he needed church for. He got upset with them and he began to speak to them like this. He said, I don't understand. Why is it that when I'm out there doing all the wrong things, you're patting me on the back? Why is it that when I'm getting drunk, and running around on my wife and destroying my family that you're encouraging me. But now when I'm sober and trying to put my family back together and make things right with God, you criticize me. Why do you encourage me when I'm doing wrong and discourage me when I'm doing right? Why indeed? Well, misery loves company, you know. So who do you know that really cares about you? Let me tell you today, Jesus really cares about you. He's done everything that he could possibly do for you. He came to this world and lived a perfect life to give you an example to follow. And then he endured betrayal by his friend, was beaten by his enemies, and ridiculed by people who never knew him. Finally, he was crucified and suffered a horrible death, even though he was innocent. 
also he could identify with whatever pain you've endured and fulfill all the obligation that came as a result of the sin and disobedience in your life and mine. He is the best friend that you will ever have, and you can have as close a relationship with him as you would like. He's already done everything he could do to see that you succeed, not only in this life, but in the eternal life that he promised. Let him be your friend. Let me tell you who else cares about you. The people around you do. And this body of believers is nothing if not a group of people who know what it means to be forgiven, cleansed, and set free. We're people just like you. Some have been forgiven of more than you will have to be forgiven of, some less. But we're all just people saved by grace. We want to love you because Christ loved us. That is our message to our community. That's why we do what we do. Would you pray with me? Dear God, we live in a hurting world. Jesus, we thank you for entering into our experience. You didn't shy away from our pain or turn a blind eye to our circumstances. Instead, you paid the price for our redemption. You enable us to have a brand new start, free from the shame of the past. I pray that each one listening today would embrace the opportunity that you have provided. And I pray that those who follow you would have the courage to share this offer with those they meet. May we represent you well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now go into a world that needs Jesus. Be his hands and be his feet. Share his love with those you encounter. Bring salt and light wherever you go. And may the presence of God be with you as you bear witness to the miracle of grace. God bless you. Thanks for listening.